I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Cassie Leonard, Director of Congressional Affairs, and Mari Savickis, Vice President of Public Policy at the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME, about what they see as some of the most pressing security and privacy regulatory related issues facing the healthcare sector in 2021. So now for starters, how much do you think the COVID-19 situation has affected health data privacy and security issues in 2020? And what do you think the impact could be in 2021? Mari? Sure, Mary, and that is such a burning question, right? I mean, for a while before COVID, privacy was really taking center stage in Congress. And there were many lawmakers who were paying increased attention to it. And while we hadn't yet arrived at a single uh, solution and a single piece of legislation that had really risen to the top, with the onset of COVID, that brought back into, um, into light again the issue through the notion of contact tracing. So it, it's still an issue, I think, though, that we've been, again, subsumed by some other events as COVID is heated up again as we head into the fall now or in the winter. So it does place a um, big question mark in terms of like, where is the data going when you're downloading an app, whether it's a contact tracing app or some other related app that may include information that's health-related information and may not be governed by HIPAA in many cases. So these are outstanding questions that I think our sector is going to have to wrestle to the ground, even if it's not going to be today. These, um, these are by no means solved issues. Cassie? Um, so that's a great question. I think Mari did a great job of kind of explaining some of the issues. But what I would like to kind of talk about really with COVID is patient matching. And you might be aware of this longstanding language in the federal budget that's really hampered the ability of HHS to advance a nationwide patient identification strategy. And this includes the adoption of a unique patient identifier. And so for more than a decade, our members have called for this language to be removed. And we think lacking a consistent approach to accurately identify patients has really re resulted in significant cost to hospitals and health system. But it's also a huge safety concern that can really lead to medical errors, to later lost diagnoses, duplicative, duplicative testing, et cetera. It's also a privacy issue. As a patient, you don't want your data to be in someone else's record. And really, the pandemic has made this patient safety issue and this privacy issue even more important. With a vaccine for COVID-19, we'll need a system to accurately match patients to their records so that we can ensure the right dosage is given to the right person at the right time. And so we really think that the removal of this language should be prioritized and is a huge privacy issue. And so we hope that this language will be prioritized in the next funding bill. So with that said, Cassie, with the patient ID matching, as you've alluded, Congress has banned funding for the Department of Health and Human Services to develop or adopt a unique patient identifier for more than 20 years. But in the last couple of years, the House of Representatives has voted to lift the ban. Now with COVID-19, do you think that there's more of a chance that both chambers of Congress might finally lift the ban because of all the challenges that COVID-19 did present? I do. I really do. And um, we've actually accomplished a lot in this space just over the last six months, actually. Um, you mentioned that the House overturned the ban in late July, so that was great progress. We also had Chairwoman DeLauro speak in favor 
of overturning this ban. And she is currently the Labor H chairwoman on the House side. So that was a big deal for her to be in favor of of removing this ban. We also created a formal coalition called Patient ID Now with five other organizations. Um, These are groups that have been working with CHIME for nearly a decade on this issue, but we are now a formal coalition. So Really, it's the job. It's the Senate's job right now to follow suit, and we are actively looking for a Senate champion on this issue. And I do think that during our meetings with the Hill, they get the connection to COVID definitely. So now, Mari, as COVID nineteen vaccines become available, what potential privacy and security regulatory issues do you foresee? The people who are administering the vaccines would be covered under HIPAA, so they still have to comply with HIPAA. That's, that hasn't changed. The piece that is the question mark is the p- part that we started at at the, at the top of the call, which is, you know, when you're involving entities that are not governed by HIPAA, for example, like a third-party app that is not run by a covered entity, like covered entity under HIPAA would be like a healthcare provider, so that would be where we sit at the table, our members or deliver, helping deliver care. You know, insurance companies are also required to comply with HIPAA as our pharmacies. So, I mean, you could see this information will have to be protected anyway, but it's when you, it's when consumers decide to give away their information to entities outside of the bubble of HIPAA that, that, that becomes potentially troublesome because those other entities are not governed by HIPAA and they can repurpose the data, repackage it, resell it. So I think as far as the administration is concerned of the of the vaccine, it's going to be done by people who are in inside of the bubble of HIPAA. So that should be okay. So what about HHS's health information blocking and interoperability rules? How much effort do you think those regulations might require for the healthcare sector entities and health IT vendors to comply? What are the main hurdles, Mari? It's not an inconsequential effort. I mean, so I've been I've been telling our members that if the last decade was a decade of meaningful use in promoting interoperability brought to us by the High Tech Act, which again was passed in 2008, this is the next decade of healthcare IT in the sense that it's the information blocking decade and that we're going to have to start utilizing APIs, which application programming interfaces, which is a term that was actually included in the statute brought to us by the 21st Century Cures Act. And so we're just at the inception of starting to operationalize on some of these requirements that are coming due. And one was actually due on November 2nd, but it's been scooted to the right into next year into April. So we have a little bit more time and the industry, as everyone knows, has been highly focused on COVID, but we are educating our members and they're beginning to kind of peel back the layers of the onion when it comes to information and some are um, in different places of readiness, and, and this is going to be more of an evolution. It's not going to be everything happens overnight. So we're moving in the right direction, but COVID certainly has slowed things down. And so I think the added time that we have to prepare our members to get ready for this is time well spent and needed. So it's and it won't be over, right? This is more, you know, you're always going to be protecting information. You're always going to have to be making sure that you're putting information into the hands of consumers when they ask for it. So this is going to be, you know, in, in some cases it will require some changes like your the health information management department of a hospital is no longer going to be able to operate from like say, you know, eight to four. Those days are over. You have to now make sure that information is available 
at a patient's fingertips and it can be delivered to them electronically through a third-party app. I mean, we're, you know, we're evolving in that place. So we're working on it and we've done a lot of outreach, but we have more work to do. And our members are, again, like as they continue to fight the pandemic, they're also trying to concurrently get ready for these changes and they will be pretty seismic in some cases. So Cassie, HHS recently issued final regulations allowing for donations of cybersecurity technology and services to certain healthcare providers, such as doctor practices. What do you think of this move in terms of potential impact on the cybersecurity of the healthcare sector overall? We think that cyber is going to be extremely important issue in 2021. The healthcare sector, despite making progress over the past several years, it really is ill-equipped to handle what we're currently experiencing, which is both a pandemic and cyber attacks. And that's what we're experiencing right now. We really started tracking COVID-19 related attacks back in March when HHS's own system was attacked with the presumed intention of slowing down their response to the disease outbreak. And Shortly thereafter, we went to Capitol Hill to make staffers aware of this and other incidents and to um, let them know that experts were predicting that cyber attacks against hospitals would continue to escalate both in volume and sophistication. And we essentially asked them for money that would go directly to our hospitals. I think staffers were shocked to learn that some of our smaller hospitals and clinics may not even have a single full-time employee that oversees, oversees cyber. And um, we even saw some of our members getting laid off who handled cybersecurity. So money could be spent on hiring a full-time staffer. Um, Hospitals could also use money to upgrade their computer systems or medical devices or even training staff on best practices. Then, of course, most recently, CISA, HHS, and the FBI issued a joint cybersecurity advisory that really stated that they have credible information of an increased and imminent cyber threat to U.S. hospitals and healthcare providers in that they described some of the techniques that may be used by foreign groups and provided recommendations and and really proactive steps that our hospitals can take. However, this is still a very reactive situation and there is still a lot that is unknown. Like I said, we've been tracking this for a while. Our internal list shows that almost two dozen health systems have been impacted, but there's still a lot of sensitivity around the regulatory penalties that come with an attack and with health information being compromised. Mari, if you want to talk about the the regulation that was brought up. Yeah, so I think um, Cassie teed up the issue really nicely. I mean, you set the backdrop for why cybersecurity is such a difficult and thorny issue and why we need, you know, we need more resources to help fortify our sector. So for years, CHIME has advocated for more cybersecurity resources and to elevate the profile of the issue just in general. We were really pleased to see that CMS and um, the Office of Inspector General, I guess last year, proposed that they would include a cyber donation in their starting and kickback rules. So that was just finalized. We're deeply appreciative of this new safe harbor that allows any entity. So it's not even just like, say, in the case, you know, when you talk about many people are familiar with the EHR donation where better resource providers can offer lesser resource providers an EHR for, it's not free, but it's almost free. Well, now with the cyber donation, anyone, any entity, doesn't even have to be a provider, could offer to, say, a lesser resource provider 
they, they can say, okay, you're a small healthcare provider, you're a small rural critical access entity, you don't even have a single person doing cybersecurity. Now they can donate technology and services. And so this is really, a, I mean, no one has to do this. It's more, if you want to do it, it's now availed to you. And so we're going to be putting out some more information, Marianne. We're happy to share, you know, with you the view that we're going through the rules right now with a fine-tooth comb. But overall, this is a really good step in the right direction that will allow our sector to become even better fortified as we continue to make. You know, we have a lot of we have a lot of steps we have to take, and we're um, behind some of the other sectors. Other sectors are much further ahead of us, like banking, retail. But healthcare is working really hard to catch up and. This is one thing that could actually help us get stronger because you're only as strong as your weakest link. So helping those providers who are struggling and who may be one of the weaker links is only going to help all of us. And finally, when it comes to the top privacy and security regulatory issues that you think the healthcare sector will face in 2021, especially as we have a new Biden administration, what would that one item be? Mari? Yeah, just because it's my one item doesn't mean it's the everyone else's one item. I will say, again, we're, we have two different parallel and but unequal tracks with the way that health information in this country is treated. We have those who are guardians of the data who are the ones that must comply with HIPAA, and that's long been the case. And then there's an entire burgeoning sector of, of other entities, whether they're technology companies or third-party apps who are taking consumer information that is given to them, sometimes without their knowledge and sometimes with their knowledge, and it's being repurposed. And that does not have, that does not fall within the purview of HIPAA. And so, you know, one could make the argument fairly easily that just about any information that a consumer gives away, especially when it has GPS tracking on it, becomes health information. And so this will continue to be an issue as we move forward with with a burgeoning of the APIs and the third-party apps and the sharing of information and contact tracing. Like, the issue will not go away. Now, whether or not the, you know, the country has the stomach to come to some sort of resolution next year is probably a stretch given everything else that's going on. But it is going to be something that we're going to have to deal with at some point. So these other entities who are not governed by HIPAA, are they're governed by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and it's a much looser set of requirements. And so these are just issues that we're just not going to get away from. We're not going to. Cassie? So since I mostly focus on Capitol Hill, I, I would want to mention that there has been a really big focus on creating a comprehensive federal data privacy framework. I'm not convinced it will actually pass and become law in 2021, but I know that is a big focus on the Hill right now, especially in the Senate. Senator Wicker and Senator Cantwell both have bills out there or at least draft legislation, draft language. So I would expect bills that would provide individuals with new privacy rights, such as the right to access, delete, or de-identify their data, and, and as well as correcting their data, I would expect to see that again on the Hill in 2021. I've been speaking to Mari Savickis and Cassie Leonard of Chime. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.